Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Thank you, Michael. All right, gentlemen, we are coming off an eventful week, and the highlight, of course, was the return of Golden State shooting guard Clay Thompson. Woo! Woo! <laughs> who was on the shelf for 941 days <laughs> wait, recovering wait, from is that an t- ACL. Is that a typo? Can the research department confirm that, please? <laughs> we, we, we did fact check this one. Uh, recovering from an ACL and then a ruptured Achilles injury. Ugh. Right out of the gate in this game, Clay made his first shot and also had an emphatic dunk, and he scored 14 points in 20 minutes of play. I think he put up similar numbers uh, the second game, but uh, uh, great to have him back. The whole NBA world, fans and players alike, were exuberant about Clay's return, although the other six shooting guards on the Warriors <laughs> roster will miss not playing significant minutes, and they are not looking forward to the impending financial implications. But still, it was great. Everybody joined in. <laughs> celebrating the return of Clay Thompson. Except James Wiseman, who... <laughs> TBD, James, TBD. <laughs> this is the longest, this is the longest um, minor meniscus tear recovery in Never the history good. of the NBA. Big guy legs, injury prolonged. These are not good. These are not good things for JW. I will say it, it was funny that Clay came back in his second game against the Grizzlies. I, I had forgotten... He hadn't played an NBA game since John Morant had joined the NBA. Wow. Wow. (laughs) There's a point of reference. That's a good one. That is a good one. And I think Zion Williamson's career began and ended (laughs) in the time that Clay was out. No, no, no. that one. No. Say it uh, it ain't so, Zion. Say it ain't so. (laughs) Thanks for the segue, Michael, because other players making headlines this week Jean Morant is taking the league by storm and making sensational plays on both ends of the court. Uh, he didn't just make a spectacular block against Lakers guard Taylor Horton Tucker on Sunday, but he basically leaped six feet above the rim and swatted <laughs> the ball with both hands through town. Uh, Morant spoke the other day about how he's not intimidated by anyone and not afraid to take it to the rim against tall defenders. And he added that uh, when you have the superpower of flying, you don't get too intimidated by anyone. Uh, Rudy Gobert disagrees. <laughs> Remember, uh, they used to have the joke they'd ask Jordan if he could he could fly, and he would say, "Yeah, for a little bit." Uh, I think John Moran's just like, "Yeah, I can fly. I'm good." Did you <laughs> did you see at the Warriors game when they beat them and like he made a play and a couple kids were in the like front row and they. Reached Warriors over, jersey. reached over to him in Warriors jerseys, and he stared them down. <laughs> it's like he's like, "I'm locked in, I'm focused." It's like, wow. And then the it was pretty great that the Grizzlies then offered, because um, he said afterwards, like, "Oh, I'll, if they want to trade their jersey in for one of my jerseys, I'll give them a jersey." And so they're running a promotion where anyone can bring a jersey from another NBA team down, and they'll get a Moran or Jerry Jackson, Jerry Jackson jersey, and two free tickets to a game. <laughs> So it's like just uh, they're rolling right now in Memphis, man. Grit and grinds back. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I think he was still mad afterward, even though when he was talking about it, he was like, yeah, we shouldn't be wearing that jersey. I mean, <laughs> you got to hold him accountable, man. It was I mean, like, is there any is there any more exciting young player than jaw right now? I mean, I just the way he is, he is stepping up. But also, just he's like vintage early pre-injury Rose. Is he? I mean, he's you know still athletic Westbrook maybe. I mean, it's the 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 physicality which he brings to the game, despite being kind of slight of stature. I mean, it's just amazing to watch him. He really is a fearless. I mean, he talks about it all the time. I think, and obviously, he kind of got packed at the rim. I think three different times against the Jazz last year in the playoffs. <laughs> but like. You know, kudos to him for continuing to go at it. You know, I mean, even last night you're watching him play the Warriors. 
you know, I don't know if it's because they beat him in the play-in last year or if it's just, you know, probably largely just the way he's wired. But <laughs> he just he, – he he has no fear. I mean, it's just amazing to watch how aggressive and assertive he is and how bouncy he is when he gets going to the rim. It's definitely his, yeah. his approach to life. I mean, we just said he stared down like two 10-year-old boys in <laughs> Warriors jerseys. He just sees red. He just – he has not – he just goes. It's uh, – and he's, I mean, he's like, he's like Rose and Westbrook, but he actually can jump higher. To, yeah, to he, did, he soars. He's so, he can, he has such great uh, elevation, yeah. even more than those guys had. And he's, it's just fun because there's so many guys like Tatum, um, other players, like if they just would drive the hoop more, just attack the basket. And he plays inside out. And like most people don't do that. And he's now he could, he's hitting more jumpers. He's more of a threat, but he's willing just to go to the rim, like, repeatedly he's not trying to like you know he's trying to attack he's we always say like play like lebron the last four minutes of a playoff game like if someone can play john morant mm-hmm. tries to play like that all the time and it's just it's crazy and it's it's fun to see and and they it's fun to see them develop as a team and it's a really cool dynamic where they played so well when he was out and then they've come back and they've just like went up another notch and it's also fun to see a team like them be able to add a piece like like or have a piece like Bane grow that's been grow as part of what they're doing because yeah that is we're seeing so many teams struggle with that where they're getting guys like later first round picks and they're not really doing that much they're not growing into even rotation players and he's like a legit like third guy now fourth like he's they have they they have the makings of this core unit and to have someone like Bain develop the three-point shooting playing off Morant like all the things that he adds to their their team is really fun and it's it's fun to see because it reminded me a little bit just the last point of the team they had years ago with Hebe Brown and Jerry West where they had all these young guys and this is like I guess, is it 20 years ago now before they traded before they traded Gasol long long time ago but they had all these guys they had like eight, 10 guys who could all play. And their whole approach was like, we're going to trade one of these couple of these guys for a star. And it never worked. West left was like his one failure. He leaves. Um, and, um, you know, they trade Gasol and the rest is history. And this is kind of like they had the grit and grind era and now they're back again. But the difference is this time is they actually have the star. They already have the guys. They don't need to go out and get a star. Like they have Morant, and then these other guys, if they can just keep improving and getting better, um, they're in a fun place. It's just fun to see young teams like step up and, and take strides. And, yeah, having a fearless leader, man, it helps. That Grizzlies team, was that Shane Battier, Mike Miller? It's a long time Lorenzo ago. Wright? Uh, bon- bon- Bonzi Wells? Yeah, yeah, Wells. yes. <laughs> I just remember that team because they were like one of the teams. It's like we have all these young guys and they're all on good contracts. And so we can try and get a star, but that doesn't work. Like that's really hard to like to package, like have a bunch of young guys who are not dominant and get a dominant player. So it's just fun to see that bunch of young guys. They already have Morant, but then to see Bain step up and grow yeah. within what they're doing. And I think their coach is really, I mean, I think Jenkins is a really good coach too. And he, um, they're all kind of growing together, but you know, and then Jaron Jackson is uh, developing nicely too. Like he, um, he used to have issues with just getting into foul trouble right away and stay by the three-point line, but it seems like he's uh, expanding his his uh, repertoire a little bit too. And you're, I think you hit it. I mean, Triple J is a fun – he's an interesting case even from – from we joke about Wiseman. Like, is he not the best case scenario for a guy like Wiseman who has – I mean, Jaron Jackson had the meniscus injury. He was out most of last season largely because of how conservative they wanted to be with the knee – and now you're seeing him, particularly as a defender, be a be kind of a difference maker, right? I mean, you're seeing this with a number of young big guys across the league, but to be able to have – he might not be the offensive player that we all hoped he would become in pairing with Morant, but, you know, Triple J rolling alongside Bain, who, you know, you hitting on like an early second-round pick, plus Morant, Brooks – you know, slow-mo. I mean, they have this interesting, I mean, Brandon Clark, even sort of a mid first round pick. I mean, watching him and, and Jaron Jackson play the front court together. I mean, there's a, 
it, they've got such a, a a flexibility to throw a lot of different looks. I, I it's really fun. I still find myself pretty concerned. I'm curious where you guys land. Like Ryan, you alluded last night when we were texting, like how fun a series would be with the Warriors and the Grizzlies, like in a one-four scenario. If that's if that's how the seeds kind of held, and and it certainly I think would be a fun series. I mean, it would be high energy, but at some point. I, I'm gonna we're gonna have to see it with Morant from a shooting perspective when you really get into a playoff environment where you can sit back and really dare dare him to continue to shoot. You know, that to me you just wonder if they have enough shooting around him. Obviously Triple J can shoot it a bit, even though it looks a little funky, Bane's a dead eye. So that help they they've got some guys, but uh, I mean, do you guys, is this the year that, that they can do it or is this, they're still building to something? I mean, they're top 10 offense and defense. So like, that's usually, unless you're a world beater offense, that's usually like the kind of starting point to make a long playoff run. So, um, so yeah, I, I think, look, going from the, and going from the plan to a top four seed is a huge step. <laughs> so I think if they're a top four seed, win a playoff round and they're battling one of the big three teams in the second round, then that's, that's legit. And I just would get scared because it's like, those guys aren't going to get worse, right? They're all going to keep getting better. Like maybe someone gets hurt, but like none of their guys are like, they're not going to get worse. They're not going to like, they're just going to keep getting better and better. And so it may not be enough this year, but then, you know, they have draft picks. They have a lot going on. I think in some ways what they've done the last couple months is ahead of schedule in terms of, you know, how do we get a third guy to go with what we hope Jackson can be, what Morant is, and then we have Brooks. But, I mean, that's the key thing is they – I mean, Brooks, Bain, Jackson, Morant, and then they have a bunch of other guys that can fit in that fifth spot. I mean, that's a team – those are guys you can go to war with against anybody. I mean, those guys are all, like – they're locked in. Um, Obviously, you need some more – some bigs and everything, and there's other guys that you mentioned that can help with that. But I, I would just be, I would just be scared because I feel like it's, it's, it's not to that level because they don't have two all-time players. They have one potential stud, and then the other guys are lower level. But that Oklahoma City team, where they kind of just everything came together, and like when they made the finals that year, I'm not saying Memphis make the finals, but there is precedent for a team just to kind of like go from battling I think they were battling the Lakers the year, like, like maybe they they were kind of battling they were in the first round and they went to the finals just bam you know and then you kind yeah, of thought they were like the 1-8 in 2011 yeah right? and then they went to the finals like the next year so i just they they don't we, we had no idea how good Harden was that i mean some of us he was on the olympic team so we didn't know but not to the level <laughs> what he became later but so that team was incredible but and this is not like that team but we just when you have guys that are that athletic and they're kind of coming into their own, they're just going to keep getting better and better. Like the Warriors aren't going to keep getting better and better unless, you know, I mean, they have clay now that's going to get them better, obviously. And hopefully Wiseman comes back, but like their main guys are sort of like, they're going to maintain, but they're not going to keep growing. I would just get scared. Cause I just feel like the Suns, the jazz and the Warriors would are all potential, um, you know, potential victims for a super athletic intense we're coming after you every moment teams like they're not really none of those guys are really like they're not super athletic teams like those three teams are like the best three teams in the conference but none of them are off the charts athletic ability and i do think memphis could impose their will on those three teams now do they have enough shooting from morant enough shooting from everyone else like they're gonna have ebbs and flows this year but I just I would not want to. I, I, mean, I guess you would be stuck playing them or Utah or Phoenix. So it's not you know pick your poison, but I, I mean, they're in fourth for a reason. And um, I definitely would be, you know, I'd be concerned second round whoever I was. Hey, saying those teams aren't the most athletic is that another shot at Joe Ingles <laughs> and his athleticism? No, Kevon Looney and Bogdanovich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good point. We could uh, find a few examples on. I guess, but I guess Phoenix is maybe less. Yeah. I, I just think like Chris Paul's getting older. I mean, it's just none of those teams have. They have guys that are just like ready to dominate you, and and want to play and want to 
You see, even with Brooks, who you know has been out, it's like he wants to get in and play and play in your face basketball, and that's like their mentality, and it fits perfectly in with like the Memphis history, you know, with Randolph and Allen and and, and Gasol and Conley and those guys, and it's like I just could picture like a game they, they split second round, you know. Um, it's one one going back to game three in Memphis, so that place is going berserk. <laughs> and and you know, John Morant's looking for, you know, a kid in a Phoenix jersey to, <laughs> to call him out on the on the arena floor, WWE style. So I like it. I like the John Morant. John Morant taking our, our wisdom from last week. That's a that's a heel move. I like it. That's staring down kids in the crowd. <laughs> Come on, Vince McMahon couldn't write that better than that. Come on. <laughs> I mean, Devin Booker, you know, yelling at the mascot. This is the type of stuff we need. I think Adam Silver is listening. I think he's taking it in. Like, let the person, let the freak flag f- fly. Let's be like Portland's weird. Let's make the NBA weird. Let's have some fun <laughs> with this. Come on. I just hope you get uh, proper credit for this new revolution that you uh, started. I know. Here. Well, I just love the. There's a, even a difference between the guys who have Twitter now that are like just in the league, like John Morant, or even the guys like I think that you know I follow like you know Washington football. You know football closely. And what's amazing to me is the guys now are so engaged in social media. It's like a different level. Even the guys who are like 30, like they're on and they respond to like media and reporters. Like they come on top of like a media report, like John Morant, like, you know, stared down two kids and he responds like immediately like, Oh yeah. You know, I'll send the guy a Jersey, but anyone wearing another team's Jersey to my arena, they, they got to go. You know, <laughs> It's just like, this constant dialogue. And I feel like that's what and we need. It's like, they're, they're not like trying to like, Oh, I'm a professional. I, I, you know, it's like, I don't know if you guys, if you have, well, you guys, go ahead, go ahead. I was, I was going to say, I, you know, unlike Kevin Durant, they use their own Twitter accounts. Too, <laughs> that's true. That's true. No burners. I know you think after uh, Brian Colangelo and Kevin Durant, people would drop the burner, <laughs> drop the burners. No, they've learned how to get away with it. Is the key. No, they carry two phones, so you can't mix them up. That's <laughs> true. Carry your burner. Have you guys seen Ted? Have you guys seen Ted Lasso? Like the first mm-hmm. season? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, it, it, there's the part where the um, the um, old crusty veteran is all upset about things, and and uh, one of the protagonists, one of the female characters, makes fun of him, and it's like, "I'm Roy Kent, and I'm." play a game for money and I'm mad all the time. You know, <laughs> it's like, let's have some fun guys. <laughs> like, Why so serious? <laughs> it's the media. Somehow the, 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 the media, the environment, <laughs> it wounds them to, to the, a place of bitterness. Uh, they get disillusioned. Right. Know, they lose their innocence. They come yeah. into the league too young. That's true. This is probably, they, they have false notions of what the world is like out there. And then, reality hits and i guess maybe fame and money isn't all it's cracked up to be I mean, sure yeah a lot of angles we could take no, that's that, fair i, I mean maybe <laughs> if we take the oklahoma city thunder analogy a little too far maybe morant's like you know 2011 durant where it's like he's the hope versus lebron who's like the terrible person who you know chases wins and durant's the you know he's the he's the quiet unassuming guy he's engaged he's like to an WNBA player so you know things could go off the rails for John too. give him another few years under the microscope and see how he responds but it's pretty fun right now so I guess maybe everyone gets broken at some point but maybe he can uh keep his spirit about him uh well the uh Chicago Bulls are the number one seed uh still in the Eastern Conference Yes, the Chicago Bulls are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Wait, it's what? Just, it's weird to say. <laughs> Sometimes you got to repeat things. You're a world champion, Chicago Bulls. <laughs> From uh, North team. Carolina. Oh, yeah, that's Carolina. The teams that uh, many assumed would be better than the Chicago Bulls but continue to struggle are the Atlanta Hawks and the Boston Celtics. Uh, starting with the Celtics, head coach Ime Udoka called the Celtics out for <laughs> – the 30th time this season and uh, said that this time that the team lacked mental toughness. Um, <laughs> next time he will call them out for lacking physicality 
and then their poor shot selection, and maybe someday <laughs> he will tell us what he's doing as coach. <laughs> the oh, I, I, I'm reading this one of the like the books about the Warriors, um, like championship teams, and Kerr talks in it about how he prepared to be a coach and how. Um, he, you know, took a lot from Popovich and Phil, and he actually met with some NFL coaches like Parcells and just tried to come up with his own. Pete Carroll. Yeah, but, yeah, Pete Carroll was the guy in the end. I think that he really, like, he realized, like, that. That explains so much. <laughs> that was his. Yeah, Steve Kerr's never been great at the end of end of game situations. No, that's uh, – maybe he didn't pick up on that. But he was just saying that you have to find your own voice and approach and – you talk about Popovich can just scream at people and just go after players who make mistakes. And because of his history, because of his relationship with Duncan, like he just, he can do that. And other guys can't do that. And Kerr decided to not sort of take that approach. Um, and I just wonder with the Doka, Doka a little bit like, Hey, I played in the league. I played with guys, you know, Kind of like the, I knew Jack Kennedy and Dan Quayle. You are no Jack Kennedy type of thing, and, and it's also like just taking sort of the mini pop approach. I just it's just strange that you would in this era sort of call people out so quickly and so frequently. Yeah. I think it like thirty times seems right, D. I mean, it's it's so much, and I, and I and I do wonder if these guys who come out of these coaching trees in professional sports, if it actually is a hindrance. I mean, you see it in the NFL with the New England Belichick tree. I mean, those guys have really struggled. And even a guy who had a lot of success the last two years in Miami, I mean, that's been up and down this year, but, you know, they went on a huge winning streak of the year. Brian Flores gets fired. And part of that's like, you know, some of the stuff going with the owner and the general manager, and it doesn't really make sense. He probably got hired somewhere else now. But you sort of read into that situation. You're like, wait, Flores is trying to be Belichick. He's trying to, like, run the whole show and just do things like Belichick does things. It's like, it only works for Belichick, guys. It only works for Popovich. It doesn't – you can't just take – Udoka can't just take that approach and go. Um, I guess in some ways Popovich has, has more successful followers than Belichick, just with Bodenholz and other guys. But I, I just – when you see a coach start doing that, you're just – like, is that really the approach? Like, how thoughtful have you been about your approach? Or are you just reacting to situations? And, like, is that intentional or not? And kind of what's going on there? I just – I get worried when I see that. What coaching tree did Joe Judge come out of <laughs> with his uh, – Belichick. 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 Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, some of those guys, you know, like Patricia and Detroit. No, I know. I know. Joe Judge, like, ooh. Well, somehow they go back then and then – it's like going yeah. back to the, like back home, like they're moving back home, you know, after a bad breakup or something. <laughs> you know? It's like Patricia's like the general manager now. He's on his way yeah, to be the general right. manager for the team. McDaniels, pops. McDaniels came back. It's oh, going to yeah. be interesting. Like there's talk if Flores may go back and be the defensive coordinator. Of course, now Belichick's actual sons are there <laughs> coaching yes. with him too. So that's a little complex. But yeah, Joe Judge, like all the, like whenever you have to say like, we're not a clown show. Like yeah, <laughs> we talked about it last week. It's like, you never want to make that, that comment. And then that, like, did you see that running play he ran? <laughs> it was like, they were down late oh, in the game and two they, sneaks. they ran the jumbo package on 39 and just snuck the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that uh, they were within their own 10 and they did a quarterback sneak on the second and third down and that uh, naturally didn't pan out. But... I don't know. I mean, the, the Giants are a mess. I, I do think with the Giants, part of the problem is, is they, you know, they had, they got so lucky wearing those Super Bowls. You know, they had kind of everything came together to beat the Patriots those two times. And so they've been able to dine out on that for years, but Man, since they last Super Bowl, they're like sixty and a hundred. I mean, it's pretty bad. But then you're like, why would you want to hire Joe Judge? <laughs> like, what does he cool. say in the interview that makes you go like, oh, this is our guy? <laughs> I don't it's know. Like, oh, he's from the Belichick tree. Like from the very beginning, where... he seemed like I, I just feel like those guys grow up and see Belichick and Popovich. Like Zidoka, just like, oh, Popovich is a jerk to people all the time. He always talks about people in the media. He always talks bad to people. Like he gets away with it. Why can't I? Like it's like. Take the hard stuff from these guys, not the yeah, right. <laughs> easy stuff. <laughs> I do think with Belichick, though, I realize maybe Popovich is this way, too, is there's not 
like how many really like just how many people coach and like in the NFL that are actually like kind of standard deviations out in terms of intelligence. Like I think Belichick actually is like a really smart guy. He went to like a good college. He's like, you know, if he wasn't like a head has if his dad hadn't been like a big football coach in college, you know, he probably would have been like a, a banker. He would have done, he's just done stuff. And yeah, when John Madden passed away, like RIP, he, he had a bunch, he's, he was the best, but he had like some, he had some comment about how, like how crazy is being a coach, how hard it's being a coach. Cause really like if you're a coach, it means you majored in PE and basically you've just been a coach. Like you're like, all you do to do is how coach it's like, how do you actually like, run an organization or do yeah, all right. this stuff? And it's like, you start thinking about it. You're like, I mean, was Joe judge the sharpest tool in his shed back in Mississippi where he came up or was he just like good at PE? <laughs> like, right. Like, I mean, a, a head coach, like some of the demands of the job, it's actually more fitting of someone who'd be like a good CEO. Yes. Like, exactly. Some of the guys who are really successful and they, they just know how to, how to, you know, run stuff from, from every angle. But, and I know we're probably spending more time on football than we usually do, but the, uh, the Giants owner had a great, a great quote. I don't know if you saw this, but he's like, "Yeah, during the season, I, I kept thinking that we hit rock bottom. I kept thinking we hit rock bottom, and then it just kept getting worse." <laughs> oh, that's a great, that's a great one. I just don't understand though. How do they keep making? Like, how do they keep making these mistakes? Like, it, like it just seems like the again, it's sort of like the athletic director for a major college program. It's like. Get your football hire right. Get your men's college hoops right. If you have other big sports like women's basketball, I mean, UW, it's like it's softball. There's lots of great crew. Like get your key sports that matter, like nail the coach and then just go on vacation for six months. Like that's all you have to do. Yeah, <laughs> like really? we got to raise money. We got to do all this stuff. If you like pick a coach so they win and they don't get you in trouble. You're good. And that's really the only job an owner has is like hiring the right people. But they hired like Dave Gettleman who like had a lot of issues in Carolina. I mean, it's like they're getting these like retread people or Joe right. judge who's retread, yeah. special teams coordinator. <laughs> He's not even a coordinator, like an actual offensive defensive coordinator. I mean, it worked for Harbaugh's brother. Or I don't know. It's just, it's just strange. It's like, I just don't understand like what goes into that. Like how do they keep making these mistakes after mistake, after mistake? I don't know. I would have some, in terms of the intelligence part, some kind of test where they can somehow measure how they manage the, the clock because that's the thing that has always confounded to me in the last three minutes of the game. How many coaches make just, they either let the clock run too long or they call timeouts at the wrong time. It's like, it's bewildering sometimes. Well, that's the problem is those guys, and it's still happening even though there's guys like Art, like at least me and D loves age who are like head football coaches and they still make these mistakes. And it's like, yes. Maybe instead of majoring PE, you should just be playing Madden all the time in your room. Yeah, really. At least you know that. I mean, I like. I mean, I feel like I know this. Like, I know the right things to do in those situations pretty well. But like, if you you there's people who like they played Madden and like they know immediately. They're like, oh, that was that was dumb. You got to kick the field goal there. You got to do this. You got to do that. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. it's like. Oh man! No, it's like they say uh, for for air, airplane pilots, the playing video games, the yeah. dexterity, the hand the hand eye, whatever. That uh, you know, it, it it helps. So maybe that's a part of the test. I don't know. But I think if you're out, like you know, your graduate assistant who's like getting paid like you know minimum wage, and you're taking classes, and you're just trying to like help the backup tight end like learn their playbook. It's like. These aren't the skills you're developing to actually be a coach. Like Belichick knows everything about yeah. football. He's studied. He's a student. Like literally, like, I wouldn't say he's a professor of the game. He's literally like he studies. Like you watch him in his his press conferences. He's totally like Popovich esque, annoying, and just kind of like gruff and standoffish. And someone's like, "Hey, tell me the history of the pooch punt." And he's like, "Oh, yeah. oh the pooch oh, yeah, punt. Oh, the then he lights punt. Up. Oh, come on over. Let's." Can you have a glass of wine with me? Let's sit down a while. What's your name again? This is great. You know, I mean, Popovich, same. He was like an intelligence officer in the Air Force. Like this guy has some, for whatever you say about Popovich, he's got some, he's got some horsepower going on. It's just, 
But like if I hadn't said everyone else has majored in PE. <laughs> I love I love PE. Don't get me wrong. Like it was great. I mean, basketball class, freshman year at sunset. Other than the swirlies, do you love it? It was great back then. I loved it. So. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. It's, I will say, um, one person who appreciates that that there's a lot of retread coaches is Alvin Gentry. He's really benefited from that structure. <laughs> Gentry is great. Once you're I in. think I think the Kings are are kind of doing him in though. Like he recently said, he's like that after a game. He's like that is the 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 worst effort I've ever seen in all my days of coaching at the NBA. <laughs> That's a lot of days. So That's the Kings might be breaking him. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, that he got broken by that situation, right? And it was the Lakers game. Oh, oh I've got a reference to that. Yeah, that was uh, a little bit. Hold, yeah. hold for that because okay. his reaction actually was priceless to that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> They had him mic'd up in that game, and when they, he realized the call was not going for them, he just goes, "Oh hell no!" Turned around and walked the other way. Started storming down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. started screaming. He's like, "That yeah. is the worst call I've ever seen." Yeah, uh, it's one of the best parts of um, seven seconds or less. I think he's, if I remember, he serves. He's in. He's like one of D'Antoni's assistants. Yeah, and it's just great. Like his. His like commentary. <laughs> he seems like a great guy to have on your staff or be your. He's just a good guy to be around a yeah. team and do his thing. But yeah, it's been, once you're yeah, no, in, once you're in, you're in, man. It's like being a made man. It's like it's hard to get rid of you. You can't knock off a made man. Like you're in. There's any consequences. <laughs> it's just. Yeah, I remember Daryl Morey saying that. Like the NBA is. Um, it's like, like almost like you're learning like a trade. It's like what's not an intern, but like you're learning to trade. It's like you have to kind of, you know, work your way up and like, um, but once you do, you're sort of in the, you're in like the quote unquote union. You're in like, you have a, a kind of like support for life. Of course, Darren Mori didn't do that. He just jumped into assistant GM from an investment bank, but that was his outsider perspective at least. So. I do like these mafia references because I'm watching Sopranos for actually the first time ever. Oh, wow. Uh, How is it? Yeah. It's good. I'm actually on the last season, season six. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, very fitting analogies there. And you're right. When you're in, you, you don't get out. You can try to get out, but uh, it's not going to end well for you if you do. Yeah, I, would re- I started reading. I haven't gone back to it, but um... – I think it's James Andrew Miller. He wrote the ESPN book, the SNL book. He has a book on HBO that just came out. And I started reading it. And I didn't know. Gandolfini was like, had some ma- major personal demons. <laughs> like No, I mean, I didn't I didn't realize like, how much of his character was in him as yeah, a person. Like it he was, would pull all-nighters. Yes. Put rocks in his shoes just so he could put his character in the place to be angry when he needed to be to just be in character as... Yeah, I mean the the book starts with like an intervention for Gandolfini, and he he like walks in the room and just basically is like "f you guys" and leaves. Like it was not. He's like gone for days at a time. They have no idea where he is. It's like you must be an amazing actor because he wasn't like he wasn't well known before he got the role. Right. But he was right. like so core to that he could just kind of do whatever. It's like yeah. oh man. What is funny? R.I.P. Though, man, he's good in everything. That was so so sad that yeah, yeah, died so young. Uh, It's kind of freaky too because there's references to his character like dying of a heart attack in in the show. So it's 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 a little eerie. But uh, when you mentioned the intervention, there's not a lot of lighthearted moments in Sopranos. But there was a scene where they did do an intervention for the cousin Chris, who's like a made guy. And it was like his family was there and all the guys. And it turned into a big brawl. <laughs> and this poor guy was like, that was that was running the intervention, was, you know, recovering addict. It was, it was, he, he realized pretty quickly on it was in over his head. And so Chris, who's, who's uh, they're intervening for him, and he ends up insulting his mother. The guy just walks over and starts speeding him up, sends him to the hospital. Oh, and gosh. yeah, it was an epic, epic scene. <laughs> I know interventions are interesting because I was I was watching uh, John Mulaney. He was on Seth Meyers. He's oh, the yeah. former SNL writer and comic. He's a comic and gone through a lot of personal turmoil the last couple of years, including like stents and rehab. And they were talking about an intervention that Seth Meyers had participated in because they were friends and they were kind of making light of it and this whole 
thing. And it was, it was really funny, but it was strange because Meyer started talking about how he did. He never knew Mulaney like was capable of like drug. We all have our demons, but it was like, he had no idea that like, Oh, I couldn't believe that you were had this addiction and developed this, you know, um, drug addiction, what have you. Like we would go out sometimes and you would always leave first and you'd never go out with us really. So I'm really shocked. But the the weird thing is Mulaney was on Mark Barron's podcast a few years ago and talked about how he developed a drug problem in college. Like he like shared that on the, he had struggled with drugs and he had been clean for a while. And they talked about that. That's like, that's like Marin's thing is he just all, he can never like if someone's not, cause he's in recovery. So if it, someone's not actually in recovery, like they're kind of like hemming and hawing about it, he will just like, Either that or Seinfeld. Like, you can't stand Seinfeld and you can't stand people who, like, aren't being real and kind of doing the steps. <laughs> and so he would really push on Mulaney, like, well, how'd you stop? And what happened? All this stuff. And it was so weird because Myers is like, oh, I had no idea that you even, like, this even happened. But, like, clearly Myers had helped him the intervention this time. And there was no acknowledgement or discussion about the fact that he had had a previous drug problem. Like, I'm not trying to I mean, listen to the Marin podcast. I mean, it's behind the paywall now, but, like, you know. Marin totally like went there with them on this stuff. So I was just like, this is, there's this weird public part of this where they're doing this discussion, making light of this whole experience. But like Mulaney's not even being fully transparent with this guy who's like <laughs> supposed to be his friend. and was part of the intervention. I was like, I don't know much about, I don't know much about how this is all supposed to work, but this does not seem to be <laughs> the recipe for long-term sustainability of life change. So I don't know. It was just, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Watch out. You got to watch out for Mulaney, man. <laughs> Hilarious guys, guy, though. Stefan. Thank you for Stefan. <laughs> guys, somewhere between NFL coaches and mafia and SNL interventions, I, I lost my place here. Uh, well, you were talking about how Yudoka is ruining the Celtics <laughs> simultaneously. <laughs> Are we concerned with the Hawks? Speaking of coaching and the Hawks, I think Lloyd Pierce is doing a victory lap. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 simultaneously flipping the bird to Nate McMillan. <laughs> well, that fits in nicely with my next point I was going to make because uh, John Collins is uh, apparently the the main disgruntled Atlanta Hawk right now. He's not happy with his current role on the team. Uh, yes, watching Trey Young dominate the ball is all fine and good when you're making it to the Eastern Conference Finals, but not so much when you're several games below. 500 what are they five games below 500 six so, six games so yeah. right right where they want to be this is the same it's the same as last year they're uh so is there a snake in the weeds in atlanta is there an assistant coach prepared to take over for mcmillan this time <laughs> who's next yeah just continue is the it, cycle get is the mcmillan just like the specialized fixer just can go in and fix it but not the long-term guy yeah, I think the Lakers are rumored to hire him this year. Just have two letters. He has a second letter ready to go. I, I loved I love Collins though. He um I love Collins comment. He said he he was asked, I think this week, um actually I think it was earlier today, he was asked, um this is by Chris Kirshner, um, from the Athletic. He was asked, um Kirshner asked Collins on what exactly he's frustrated about having his name mentioned and Ben Simmons deals and how he feels about the Hawks. Okay. little warning here, but Collins quote, and I quote, when you win, it covers up a lot of shit. When you lose, it uncovers a lot of shit. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, That's that good. is John Collins, man. Just got words of wisdom. Yeah. John Collins somehow has become the villain in Atlanta multiple seasons now. I was like, he sure seems like, He's the only guy in that in that locker room that's got any sense to him. I mean, last year he was rumored to obviously be traded at the deadline. They didn't. They ended up extending him, but he played very much the good soldier down the stretch. I mean, he had a great playoffs, and now he's he is again voicing concern around some of the dynamics in that team. I mean, it, you know, I think we I, we thought we buried the tray as a as a good stats bad team guy. I don't know. I mean, is the illusion is, was it just a little bit of sleight of hand for the playoffs? Well, I, I find it so interesting. And we've talked about it a little bit is you, you'd think it would have been easier to deal with them in the playoffs 
and take advantage of Trey in the playoffs than it would be in the regular season because you're like focused on one team. You kind of study them, you come up with things, but it just, it seemed like in the playoffs teams, for whatever reason, matchups or just lack of tactical expertise, they, they didn't really take advantage of Trey or the other guys on that team who couldn't really guard. I mean, they had a lot of holes. I mean, even then, you know, Gallinari, um, obviously Lee Williams was playing a lot then off the bench, but they, 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 you know, with Hunter gone and, and, and Reddish, they didn't really have much. They don't have a lot of Badanovich. They don't have a lot of guys who can guard. And it didn't seem like a lot of teams took advantage of that. And I think this year, um, I mean, you saw it with Simons from Portland, right? He went crazy on them. But, like, you, you watched his – it was like, you know, it was, it was Trey Young. Um, it was just the same – that same group over and over again just getting – getting smoked. And I, and I don't really understand like what is to your point, Michael, why Trey young is the, or sorry, why John Collins is the problem. He's averaging 17 and eight shooting 54%. <laughs> like that, that sounds pretty good to me. Like I, I, I like that. I mean, he's a, ser- a very serviceable fantasy player. For yeah. Me. He was a good fifth round pick. Yeah. He's like, I mean, I mean, they lost again tonight, but he had, you know, 16 and 11 33 minutes like he's he's doing stuff i don't think he's the problem you just wonder you wonder though like last year right they played the knicks which clearly were were preparing to become a tire fire like they are and then they play that dysfunctional sixers team where simmons totally you know implodes i mean we were literally talking about a hawks sixers trade because of the hawks sixers series last year i mean that's how it came to a head um but I, I'm just curious, like, how does the, what 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 happens here? I mean, we've alluded to the Hawks having one or two too many guys. You know, I, the Sixers are in this interesting place where they're at a bit of an impasse with the Simmons stuff. I mean, the the trade that was banding around from the Hawks and the Sixers' perspectives, actually, I I got pretty excited about. I mean, something that revolves around Reddish and um, Collins in exchange for Simmons. And obviously there's probably some stuff in addition to those two guys, but overall, like it actually feels like it provides quite a bit more depth for the Sixers and gives them a couple different kind of options in that swingman rotation that they don't have a ton of depth around right now. Right. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like non offensive Thibault and Danny green and Tobias Harris, which, you know, is sort of trick or treat. So it's that one seemed to make a lot of sense to me. But again, I, I it kind of felt like it might unlock both teams a bit more. But I mean, where do you guys did that pique your interest? I've also heard talk of uh, Tobias Harris name being uh, thrown out there as a, a tandem deal. Simmons and Tobias Harris. But I think it's two huge contracts. But I think more is like, I want to star. I'll, I'll give up two of my my all-stars for argue, arguably all-stars. I think for, you'd have to trade those two for like Azerbaijan, like the GDP <laughs> of Azerbaijan, just to ma- make the money match. I just yeah. love it, though. It's, it's He's not getting the offers he wants for for Simmons. And so he's making it even harder on himself. <laughs> he's yeah. like, well, let's add Harris to this too. Let's make this even more complicated. I mean, Harris is four. I think he has two years, 40 million a year left on his contract. I mean, I think he got one of the highest contracts ever in the history of basketball uh, from the last regime. So, you know, is he, is he giving you bang for your buck? You know, you know, not really, but it's, I, I just don't, I don't really see a team that's going to be like, Oh yeah, I'll take, you know, the GDPR, the GDP of, Azerbaijan on um, <laughs> and give you stuff back. It's just, yeah, I don't really understand the dynamic. I, I don't really love Simmons with the Hawks. I feel like he needs to be at a place where he can just like be the center of it actually offensively. I feel like just have the ball in his hands and kind of have a team built around him. I know it seems odd to say that considering his struggles, but I don't know if like <clears throat> a team where Trey Young has the ball in his hands all the time um, – I don't know. I don't really know how that fit works. I could see it working with a team like Golden State where he was going to share – like they share the ball and no one dominates it. Like that makes sense to me from an offensive standpoint at least. Um, but I, I, I don't really understand Maury's endgame. I don't know – like what does he actually like want to get that he actually thinks he can get? Like I I mean I, it sounds like from what they're reporting today is that, you know, they're not moving off of their position and – um. 
I think. Well, he told us it could go years, right? So, yeah. So there's no end game in sight. Yeah. Yet. No, I think it's. <laughs> I, I, Let's talk year number two. Maybe yeah. Maybe a better picture. No, I think it, I read today and it makes sense that like ownership and Embiid are all aligned on it. Like they're just like. And you know Embiid was aligned on it. He's just like, yeah, Embiid's F, like F, F, that, F that guy. Like, I hope we never yeah. – you don't have to bring anyone in. Like, I, I'm fine if we don't make like, a champion. I just want that guy to sit for four years. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> well, I don't know. I just – I don't really – I don't really, like – like, what's actually out there? Like, I don't think he wants to just get Collins and Herder or something, right? Or, like, I mean – Herder's been a problem for them too, by the way. Like he had flashes in the playoffs, looked great, but he, like, either it was Trey Young or Herder that Simons was destroying that in that Blazers game. <laughs> I mean, it's just like he's not like he and Bynum's are not good defenders, and they're playing next to Trey Young, who's a sieve. So it's just, I don't know. The mix is a little combustible still. But Maury's still in a tough spot. I mean, what he's going to trade for Dame Lillard now? <laughs> so man. We'll get to him in a, oh, in a minute. Man. All right. Um, we did have a, an interesting situation transpire last week when uh, the gambling community was in uproar after NBA referees made a controversial call in the Lakers-Kings game uh, last week, early last week. Uh, there was about 20 seconds left in that game, and the refs called a jump ball after a missed free throw. We were texting about this. Uh and the shot clock started prematurely and the Kings player was just about to grab the rebound. And so the shot clock started. So the refs had to stop the game and, uh, folks who bet on the Kings to cover the six and a half point spread were irate when the jump ball resulted, they called the jump ball. So then, uh, sorry, I'm kind of butchering the details, here, but <laughs> <laughs> the Lakers won the jump ball. It was a ridiculous call. The rebound was going to the King. Oh, hell no. Oh, oh, hell no. Egregious. Oh, hell no. Hell. Oh, no. No. So the Lakers ended up winning by eight. And so the Kings did not uh, cover the 6.5 spread. So Derek, did you lose money in this situation? <laughs> the NBA did get wind of this and uh, responded with an official statement which was, why would anyone bet money on the Sacramento <laughs> Kings? Yeah. More of a question than a statement. Is that rhetorical? Oh. Always, anytime we talk about betting on basketball games, I do always think of the uh, Simpsons episode where Krusty the Clown uh, got in trouble with the mafia and bet all of his money on the Washington Generals <laughs> to uh, beat the Harlem Globetrotters. And uh, they asked him, you know, why would you bet all of your money on the Washington Generals? For the younger folks at home, you know that the, the losing streak went, was what, 3,000 games or something? Yeah, they always lost. They always lost, yeah. So, and he said, uh, I thought the Generals were due. <laughs> this game is fixed. They're using a ladder, for God's sakes. <laughs> what, well, one question that does come up to me is, when you bring this up, is, how are all these gaming companies that are now subsidizing all of sports media and sports? Like how, how are they? I haven't studied this, but I was curious if you guys know anything like they must, they're making a lot of money from some people, right? They're making like they have whales. They have big people who spend tons of tons of money with them and lose it. But they're also making it from lots of just kind of, kind of the sports gambling equivalent to people who play the slots, right? Or just like, just kind of stare into space and, and do it. But there's a lot of people losing a lot of money, right? I mean, that's the, yes. the house wins, right? I mean, where does this go? Actually? I mean, it just doesn't seem sustainable. I mean, they're everywhere. Like I listen to podcasts now. It's just like, you know, our partner MGM sports. And it's like the, you know, the minute long ad and then the 30 second, disclaimer about all the different locations you're in and everything. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. And I don't know. It's like, it's pretty crazy. Like where we came, where the you know, Oregon couldn't get NCAA tournament games for like 20 years. Cause they, had, like they had like a, what they had the sports lottery. They had some, they had like the, the pickums you could pick for NFL games or something. And it was like this barely anything thing or had the lottery. It was just, I just don't know where this goes. Like, there's a lot of people losing a lot of money, right? I mean, that's what's – and they just kind of chalk it up to having fun. Um, I Gambling's fun, sure, but I just – it just seems like we're building up 
sports on a house of cards because like at some point people can't bring money back right i mean they can't like where does this go i was just curious you guys have thought about that into the abyss a dark place <laughs> i don't know <laughs> well it's clearly concerning on that front but i do think i just think sports gambling is fascinating because it does it it creates a level of investment in sports viewership right that that I think doesn't exist. I mean, I think one of the more underrated components of the NFL being the most dominant viewed sport in the in the country is it's football. Dominant, it. dominant viewed entertainment. Yeah, I mean, to, yeah. I mean, I think they had like even was it ninety plus out of the hundred most watched things in twenty twenty one were NFL games. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's like crappy like. Dolphins, yeah. Jaguars on a Thursday night yeah. are like better games. Like, well, like I think the rescheduled Tuesday night game from well, that got rescheduled because of COVID. Like, yeah, just was, killed was like the, the highest rating Tuesday thing in night all of thing. December. Yeah, like, it was just it was insane. Well, that's a, I, I think Sherwood Strauss has done a lot of work on this, and the, he had a recent article. It, I think the NBA. It's a little scary because the NBA, like five years ago, had like maybe 10, 15, 20 of the top hundred like televised events or at least televised sports. And this year it was zero. And like the NFL had like almost all of them, <laughs> at least for sports. I mean, but go on, Michael, go on. But, well, but I, I just, I actually think the NFL, it, I, I, an underrated component of that is the gambling component. And I think when I say gambling, I use that in a generic broad sense. It's not just, you know, I picked the, I picked the Colts to cover. It's actually, it's fantasy football. It's, DF, it's daily fantasy, and then it's also actual like true blue sports betting, which is now legal in like twenty states, right? And I think that collection invests people from to watch things like Red Zone or watch football or sit at a sports bar all day and like, or just sit at home all day and do your life, but also have the football game on because you're that invested in an outcome. I mean, it's actually really odd being a person who plays fantasy football who consumes a lot of football on Sundays during the regular season and then finding myself in week 18 when like the season was over. I don't, Derek, you might've experienced this more like week 16, but oh. <laughs> see, it, it, if you it, never get your hopes up D, you never get disappointed. That was my point. Uh, that was MJ Zendaya's point on <laughs> no way home. Just don't get disappointed D don't get disappointed. <laughs> But it's I I found myself very with very low interest in watching like the Browns. Oh, and that's Bengals. interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Whereas like consuming it in the context of a competitive environment, and if I was laying ten dollar bets on like the Browns to cover, I'm probably I'm quite a bit more invested in that game, even though it's like pennies, right? I mean, I think that's where this continues to go. Is it will continue to. And I think that's the league strategies. I mean, that's, I think that's the NBA strategy too and why all the leagues are going in on how do we get creative in engaging the sports gambling elements to our league because, again, it creates that environment of buy-in and participation, right? It's like if you, you know, I, I, I mean, I feel like it's like a wrap that in the next couple of years the NBA is going to – be you know those monster Tuesday night slates where they have like every team's playing? Like, hey – do a pick them and you know, you get, you know, the, the partner with DraftKings, And if you, you know, we'll do DFS pick them. And if you win, you get a million bucks, right. Or whatever, <laughs> like some silly sponsor where you're all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I want to be on league pass on Tuesday nights. Cause like I want to, you know, consume what's happening here. So I think that to me, it's going to continue to be the lifeblood. I don't think there's any end to it. I mean, everybody well, I know who has sports betting legal in their states on that's like at the tap of a phone participates in it on like small potatoes mostly, but also like participates in it and like also loses a lot. <laughs> like <laughs> I have a friend, I have a friend who, who lives in Tennessee who is taking, he's like, he's basically being a bookie for a group of our friends and at one point, there were so many lost bets that I recommended he start being the bookie himself. <laughs> and he's literally made hundreds of dollars as a result. <laughs> so he takes a bet. He gives the odds that DraftKings provides. And then he doesn't, he doesn't put the bet in DraftKings. He just keeps the money. <laughs> <laughs> and then he has to pay out, right? Like if you take a futures bet for the Suns to win. But like, I mean... People in general, wait a second, wait a second, included this, are morons when it comes to this stuff. Like this, we're not, none of us are Bob Vulgaris. The Suns, well, the Suns to win. I think, 
I might know. Let's uh, sons and bucks. I remember some dual well, dual loyalties. Okay, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Oh man, I stopped. I stopped betting on games directly in high school because uh, no one would ever pay up. And as much as I tried to get John Persich to be you know, my <laughs> The guy who would collect for me, he wasn't fully committed to the role. So. Sultan was always the uh, easy money, I think, though. <laughs> was, but I was going to say, was, Michael, it, I mean, the problem is you just you didn't have enough outlets. I mean, in, in NFL, I'm in a I'm in a pick'em league. I'm in a, a, a work pool thing where you have eight teams. If you get enough stuff, you'll never get bored by that Jacksonville. <laughs> thing, I can assure you. No, but it's. I just think as as a as a society, it just seems like it's inevitable. You know, the legalization of marijuana and the legalization of sports betting, like two things when we were kids, we like would never have fathomed, are now like coming to a store near you or a phone near you. I think marijuana legalization might be less acidic for the culture, but I will see. <laughs> I mean, alcohol is probably the worst of everything, but uh, yeah, it, it was it was crazy. The battle. Sorry, I was gonna say the enemy that we have here is. It's the it's the dopamine in the brain. No, That's, totally. The, the it's finding the ways. We've all time, struggled. Yeah. yeah, totally. Everyone, we're all struggling with our own, own demons. I I remember a few years ago to Michael's point with the leagues. Like at one point, the NBA. And I think the NFL was in on this too. They were trying to, to convince the, you know, casinos or what have you, the the um, sports books. And I think they were trying to just do some of the legislation that was being passed to allow sports gambling was that they'd actually get a, the leagues would get a VIG on every, every wager, basically arguing that like you're betting on our product. We have to like manage our product to ensure there's no cheating. Like you have to like rely on this. So we should get a piece of every transaction <laughs> that didn't go anywhere. But uh, it's like that meme. that's like, tell me you've never sports bet without telling me you've never sports bet before. <laughs> it's like some geeky account. I guarantee you somebody who thinks like I do in like New York and Secaucus was like, you know, it's a great idea. <laughs> We're gonna convince the Maloofs to give us one percent of every sports. Let's bet. give it. Let's let's get a deck together for that. Yeah, I mean, it is a good point. I mean, I do think a lot of the behavior was already there. Like to your bookie point before, like people had bookies, people were making bets for years and years and years before, like it went in the light. So, um, but it just seems like, yeah, it's just not even getting to the addiction point, which I know a lot of the providers try and take steps you know there's 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 phone numbers you can call and everything but it's just it's just pretty like it just you just realize how much of it's like the television and the gaming is quickly i think becoming the second piece of that even more than like online and stuff it's just and like your point if you if you do the bigger pool of fantasy daily fantasy all that stuff along with it it's pretty crazy I mean, to your original question of, of where does this all go, I, I read a book, uh, I think in grad school, the book was 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 called uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that's the dark answer to your question. No, uh, yeah, no, it is. <laughs> I mean, it's like, to, it's the dopamine, right? I mean, that's, to your point, D. And we all struggle. I mean, again, this isn't like we all get distracted by things and stuff happens. Like, it's not. Some people like to gamble on sports. Like that's their prerogative to do. It's like, it's like we all have different things we've done or do or learn from, but it's, yeah, it's, um, what was that? Neil, is that, the, is that Neil Postman? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I read, yeah, I think I read. Well, I think the idea is it's, yeah, it's sort of the hard wiring of the brain where you're right. You're, you're addicted to the juice of it. Right. Yeah. And so, Right. You you lack attention span to like pursue things that are of more, you know, value in life. <laughs> no, totally. Well, it's even like stuff like coffee. Like I never really drank coffee coming up or even for years. But then it's like, you know, three kids work, etc. I definitely drink more coffee now. And you um, I, and I remember always reading about like I think it was baseball players primarily, but they would like. They did like they took like the green. They took all the stimulants and stuff that eventually got prohibited. But they also would just drink a cup of coffee before a game, and I'd be like, a "Cup of like that really? seems disgusting. Like, why would you drink a cup of coffee before a, a sporting event?" But it's like, oh wait, like caffeine. Like it just why you get wired, and it's like you yeah. you need that like that to um, that can really benefit you when you're 
you know, playing a sport. Um, well, let's be honest, baseball. I mean, it is baseball. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think all these guys have, like, they're fine. It's like this stuff exists for a reason, right? I mean, there's people right. who go and ha- har- harvest this, harvest the coffee beans and, you know, <laughs> it, it gets marked up 5 million percent and we buy it. It's like, it's all this stuff kind of feeds into that. And it's, you start thinking back and going, wow, this is the stuff I'm relying on. And it could be a podcast, it could be Twitter, it could be any of this stuff. Like, it's just like, it keeps that dopamine yeah. firing. And yeah. it's, it's definitely. Everyone gets it somewhere. Well, then you see like the Chinese are saying, like, oh, don't play video games. Don't, like, they're trying to like push back. <laughs> it's like, put the genie back in the bottle. We got to stop this stuff. It's like, oh, I don't know, man. Good luck. Good luck to you. <laughs> they may have a unique advantage to pushing back on that, though. That's true. They do have the Great Wall. Authoritarianism and all. They do have the Great Wall. So. Well, after this, uh, after this indictment on American society, uh, last thing I was going to mention here, uh, we we had some bad breaking news today uh, for Blazer fans as uh, Damian Lillard's oh, lingering abdominal injury, bad, yeah, will now require surgery. Uh, initial reports are that Lillard will be out six to eight weeks. We, this is course, tremendous. We of course well. Feel bad for Lillard and, uh, you know, for Blazer fans, because otherwise the season was going so well. <laughs> Sorry, I can't laugh. This is, it feels awful. I feel awful. No, I feel bad for Lillard, yeah. I mean, I just, can we just talk Lillard, about I coming full circle? Nine days ago, we discussed the concept that, a, like, a player like Lillard who worked so hard to, like, transform his entire body and regime, and now he's just falling off a cliff. I mean, is that, like, I, I'm curious how much – this has to do again with the way he's worked versus, you know, it may just be a lingering thing that he irresponsibly proceeded to the Olympics in and then tried to play through in the season. And clearly because right the back-to-back seasons, the, they're you know, awful yeah. that resulted in him just saying, you know what, let's, let's mail it in. I mean, I do think this is actually really good news as a Blazer fan, right? Like this really cements the goal of sort of doing the one and done. No, Joe Cronin, he he's ready. He is he is adding pieces. This is just the intern from the Brooklyn office the is ready. <laughs> I mean, no, I but I think that is. I mean, it's just it's. Oh, uh, there's a lot of they're, interesting. They're going to try to pull the Warriors. Is that what you're saying? They're going to try and. Yeah, I think. So. I mean, you know, they're going to try we'll to see. draft a guy who basically makes a negative contribution, gets hurt, and then they win anyway because they have the greatest player of the generation. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, all, all according to meniscus. Plan. By the way, this Warriors book—it's the uh, Ethan Sherwood Strauss book from a few years ago—and I didn't know. So they were really trying to trade Steph. Like, like they were really trying to trade like before the first extension. Yeah, like around that time, they were. I mean, really? they, I know that there was like oh Monte or Steph, and they traded Monte, but I didn't really know that they even offered Steph and Clay for Chris Paul before he went to the Clippers. And it was, he has this great scene in the book. Cause like the guy who wrote Sherwood Strauss, he doesn't really care. Like he, he, he kind of, that's kind of his, like his, his whole shtick is he doesn't care. So he, he was ready. He had this great scene though, where Bob Myers, after they won the first title, he got GM of the year and he's getting like a press conference about it. And he's given the award and Steph's like walks in the back and is kind of watching the press conference. And um, he got Myers gets asked during the press conference, like, what was one, you know, decision you made that at the time was a big risk, but it really paid off. And he's like, when we decided to give Steph the extension <laughs> and Steph just kind of stared and then like walked out of the back door. <laughs> like during it. it was just like. They're lucky Steph's a good guy, man, because it wasn't like they yeah. treated him the best. Let's just put it yeah. that way. Well, who has Bob Myers treated well, man? That guy pats himself on the back. Stop. like He was born on third base. Stop. He did a triple. Stop. You remember the, champion, the, the first championship parade? Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, he lit the fuse for Katie to leave. <laughs> I know. Right. I know. Oh, but, man, it is... It's a, it's, it's it's wild. I think how this, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the Blazers do. Obviously, I would be, I I anticipate some moves here down the stretch just to part out some of the the ancillary older players to to restock the the ammo a little bit. Um, 
Because the Bulls have the, the Bulls the have their pick, right? But it's just protected. Is that right? Yeah. Well, the, the Bulls are the Cavs. Oh, sorry, Cavs because of the the Nance trade. But it is it's it is it's kind of wild that in that three way, if you would have guessed who was going to be the best team in that three way trade. You know, the fact that the Bulls and now then even the Cavs are, are head and shoulders above the Blazers, I think, is a pretty amazing outcome there. Uh, yeah, it's going to be um, – yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I just – I get worried because, I mean, is this whole Ben Simmons for Lillard trade going to turn into Simmons for Lillard in the first-round pick sweetener to <laughs> they do it? I just – I don't know, man. We're getting Tobias Harris too. Never <laughs> be able to afford anybody else. Uh, anyway, stay Lillard tuned. and McCollum for Tobias Harris and Simmons. There it is. I don't know, man. I mean, is Jody? I mean, Jody Allen's got to decide what to do going forward as well, right? I mean, she's got bigger fish to fry in Seattle, man. I mean, it seems like the gang's coming back there. I don't know. I mean, that would be, be the cool of the. Like literally coming back from injury and then making a run and you know making the play in, so keep the gang together again. We'll yeah. see. All right, stay tuned for that, <laughs> guys. We're uh, we're about at the end of our time. Uh, D's cutting. You're cutting the place for talking. <laughs> but I, I, our apologies to Ime uh, Udoka. Uh, this was a bad night to invite him on, and uh, he'll probably take it out on us in the in the press or something. But. <laughs> That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the 3ND Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast. It's a triumph of the human spirit.